The sixth and final episode of the Complications Happens series is all about location, 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 specifically tip location of a central vascular access device and why it does matter. Our guest, Crystal Miller, BSN, MA, CRNI, NEBC, has more than 30 years experience in infusion nursing. Crystal served as a past president of the Infusion Nurses Society and a past chair of the Infusion Nurses Certification Corporation. Currently, Crystal is the nurse manager for the IV Therapy Department, the Outpatient Infusion Center, and Mendel Multiple Sclerosis Center at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center in Hartford, Connecticut. Hi, Crystal. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. So we're going to be talking today about central vascular access device malposition, CVAD malposition. Why is CVAD tip location important for infusion therapy? Well, Michelle, with any central vascular access device, tip location is essential to infusion therapy. It's the the responsibility of every clinician to verify the documented anatomical location of the central vascular access device tip at the time of insertion and prior to the initiation of any infusion that we're going to run through that device. Catheter tip location for all CVADs has to be verified prior to use. Mm -hmm. And typically, CVAD locations is in the distal third of the SVC. Okay, so what then is central vascular access device malposition? Quite simply, malpositioning is when the catheter tip ends up in a suboptimal or aberrant location. Mm So it could be anything that's outside of the SVC, and it can be in any number of locations. But definitely, if it's beyond, if it's higher than the distal third of the SVC, or not at the caval atrial junction, it will impact how the functionality of that catheter. Okay. And malpositioning, are there different types of malpositioning? How does it occur? Actually, yes, there are. There's... um, Malpositioning can be categorized as either primary or secondary, and in those categories, there's subcategories of intravascular or extravascular. Okay. When we have primary malpositioning, it typically occurs when the cath- at the time of catheter insertion, and it, if it's intravascular, basically the tip is going to end up in another blood vessel other mm-hmm. than the SVC. So it could be in a number of places, such as the aorta. It could be contralateral and, and in the anominate and subclavian veins. It can be ipsilateral or contralateral in the internal jugular veins, the zygous vein, the thoracic vein, the right atrium, or even the right ventricle. They're typically associated with um, technique and placement at the time of placement. There could also be the other causes for primary malpositioning can also be the result of something that has developed within the patient. In other words, there could be a stenosis or thrombosis, and there could be the presence of a benign or malignant lesion that compresses the vein. Mm -hmm. The patients can also have um, anatomical um, abnormalities that, that are congenital in nature, so the patient could ha- present with a persistent left superior vena cava or venous stenosis that will definitely cause that catheter tip to malposition. Okay, so is malposition then only associated with the initial placement of the catheter? 
No, actually it's not. Given the um, high blood flow within the superior vena cava, these catheters are really virally um, pliable. They mm -hmm. move and can migrate into a number of places. And so what the, when that occurs, it's, it's called, categorized as secondary malpositioning, okay. and it's during the dwell time of the catheter. So just because at the time of, in, of placement, we've confirmed that that tip location is in the distal third of the SVC or at the caval atrial junction, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to stay there. Mm -hmm. There could be a lot of changes internally within the patient in terms of their um, pressures, if the patient coughs, um, there could be um, the catheter could migrate because of that, and so it's it's tantamount that we continually assess and evaluate that tip location during the life of that cath the dwell of the catheter or okay. that device. Mm -hmm. Are some catheters more prone? Some types of CVADs more prone to malposition than others? Actually, yes, there are. I mean, I, I think vascular access nurses, uh, infusion nurses, we deal with a. a a number, a myriad of devices, mm -hmm. but typically, um, statistically, PICs, peripherally inserted central catheters, are three times more likely to um, have primary malpositioning than other types of CVADs. Okay. And then um, if a, a primary um, malposition occurs, what can happen with that? What, can it cause anything? Does it give our patients problems? Do we even know what happens? Well, yes, you will. Um, you'll have some, some issues with functionality. Um, you know, I think that people, uh, there's, there's always going to be the presence of a blood return, especially if it's intravascular mm -hmm. um, primary malpositioning. But when it's extravascular malpositioning, we could, the patient, it makes the patient susceptible to um, extravasation or infiltration, as that tip may end up in the mediastinum. Mm. It could be in the pleura, and if it's in the pleura, the patient's going to then present with either a, either a pleural effusion or a hemothorax. And ultimately, if it ends up in the pericardium, the, peri it, pa the patient could end up with a pericardial effusion or a cardiac tamponade. And lastly, if it ends up into the perineum, the patient's going to end up with some sort of intra-abdominal bleeding. Okay, and that that was with primary. What about secondary extravascular CVAD malposition? Well, with secondary, you're going. It's often associated with the catheter tip causing some sort of some sort of erosion mm -hmm. through the vessel wall. So the patient could present with a venous thrombus. Um, the catheter could also get dislodged during catheter care. Um, with secondary malpositioning, again the patient could have um, intravascular malpositioning whereby the tip locations are going to end up almost in some of the same um, vascular um, places that mm -hmm. you see with primary malpositioning. So, again, the internal jugular vein, the anominate, the brachiocephalic, the subclavian, although and now it could also involve the axillary and azygous veins as well as, again, the right atrium. Okay. And... Um, what causes the secondary? Is it the same thing that causes the primary? The changes in intrathoracic pressure or? Uh, yes, uh, definitely. The other things that can cause that secondary malpositioning are um, associated with patient movement. Um, if the patient has the presence of a, um, a disease process like a, a uh, 
a mass that can cause that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if patients vomit, mm-hmm. any changes in that um, intrathoracic pressure will cause that tip to malposition and migrate. If the patient is um, has a congestive heart failure, again, that's going to affect that um, that tip location. And certainly when patients are on vents and they have positive pressure mm-hmm. ventilation, that's going to impact where that tip is. Mm-hmm. And what about, um, I see a note about power injection. Can that cause our tips to be malpositioned as well? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, what typically can happen is the pressure under which things are, are uh, infused or pushed through, that definitely can cause that tip to migrate. Um, and it can definitely be related to the viscosity of the contrast mm-hmm. that will be injected. So at that point, um, especially when we follow that with that post-procedure, say, a sodium flush. Um, but, yeah, power injections can definitely impact. Something to be aware of, yeah. So what are some clues that the tip isn't where it should be? What What can we look for as infusion nurses? Well, from an assessment standpoint, you're going to have some changes in the presence of your blood return. Okay. So that this will be the catheter in the pres in the in the place of a pick, a multi-lumen pick. You'll have one lumen that might have a blood return, or, or it'll be sporadic blood returns. There's going to be changes in the, in the color of the blood, um, especially if the catheter is migrated into an arterial um, mm. vessel. Um, the patient, there's going to be some difficulty in functionality. This will be the device that flushes intermittently well, but doesn't consistently, it's not consistently patent. You're struggling to flush at all. There could be, if if this catheter tip has migrated into the artery, you may need to um, attach to an arterial waveform to confirm that. The, The color of the blood. It, as mm-hmm. we know, typically it's if it's arterial, if the line is in an arterial um, vessel, that color of that blood might be frank red. But that's not always the determinant that the tip has migrated into an arter into an artery. So mm-hmm. use of the arterial waveform would show that the patient might be compl- have some some physical complaints. They complain of chest or shoulder pain or back pain. There if and the, there could be some edema in the neck or the shoulder. There's going to be changes in, in the patient's respiration. Mm-hmm. And certainly if the catheter is, is malpositioned um, ipsilaterally um, or gone up, uh, it's, it's in the cephalod position or up in the neck, the patient may complain of hearing that um, gurgling or mm-hmm. water when we flush. Okay. They may also, if it's impacting uh, nerves, the patient may complain of some um, paresthesias or tingling um, as a result of flow issues that okay. are impacted. Okay. So do we have to take the catheter out? What do we do if, the t- if we suspect that this has happened? Well, uh, there, it depends on where, how bad the malpositioning is mm-hmm. um, and where the tip location is. At the very least, we need to um, do diagnostic imaging to confirm where that tip location is. Chest x-rays alone may not necessarily provide that kind of information. So we may need to inject contrast to confirm where where that catheter is at. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly using fluoro or MRI imaging will help you diagnose where it is. And then we can figure out, based on where that tip location is, whether or not that catheter will need, can be can be repositioned or if it needs to be totally replaced. Okay. And so let's say that that the tip location, that we can try to um, manage it and intervene. How can we do that without 
removing the catheter? Can we change well, the tip location? Uh, you can um, without having to move, remove the catheter. In the case of a PIC, if the PIC is um, intracardiac in location and it's two centimeters below the atrial junction, what we can do is retract it, that two centimeters, and that will place the tip at the optimal point of the mm -hmm. distal third of the SVC. If the catheter is bowel positioned into the jugular, there are some techniques of power flushing. Certainly that can be done to um, kind of gently guide that catheter down into the right spot. Certainly elevating the patient's head, having the patient sit upright or walk. Um, in the case of um, catheters that have been malpositioned in a contralateral, you can reposition, you can position the patient on their opposite side, have them lift their arm, and again, power flushing has been very effective. We've, that's an, a technique that we've been able to successfully mm -hmm. implement here at um, St. Francis with my team, and it's been a great saver, especially for that patient that you've struggled to get that line in, and really it was a difficult process to start with, and you really don't want to have to repeat that process for that patient. Yeah, yeah. And there are also other techniques, such as invasive techniques, that can be used to reposition the catheters. Uh, the invasive techniques would include, um, you know, um, inserting a guide wire and then using under fluoro, you advance and retract. I mean, that's certainly something that can d be done in the interventional radiology um, mm -hmm. arena. It's not something based on the use of fluoroscopy that we could do at the bedside. Correct, correct. Um, so what do we do? Is there anything we can do to help prevent malpositioning from happening? So I think... Um, Certainly at the point of insertion, we need to be careful as practitioners that when we use any of these breakaway needles that we remove them, uh, remove that introducer before threading the catheter. Certainly ensuring that um, at the time of insertion, especially if we're using the basilic vein if, uh, to kind of guide that catheter in the, into the right location, we can position the patient and, and engage the patient in this process and have them turn their heads to the side of the, mm -hmm. the insertion. Um, Certainly, um, if we're insist, uh, assisting with um, central VADs that are being placed in the subclavian, the proper placement of the patient in a slight Trendelenburg, Trendelenburg position with a towel, rolled towel will help with that. Mm -hmm. And as any of us know that are, that are placing um, PICs in any of the CVADs that are out there, if we certainly employ and engage all the visualization technology that's out there, mm -hmm. ultrasounds, use of 3CG, um, to confirm tip location will certainly help us in this process. And it will help us identify quickly if there's a problem so that we can um, reposition that catheter without having to start the process all over. Excellent. So in summary then, Crystal, um, is, is there anything that you can say that will help us really have a good takeaway from this and what we need to do in order to prevent any problems? Well, I think at, the, at, at its very core, Michelle, um, we need to start with well-qualified, highly skilled professionals placing PICs. Mm -hmm. And certainly, um, being a, a manager of an, a vascular access team, I'm going to always be a proponent for the existence of vascular access nurses mm -hmm. to engage in that process. I think that what helps us grow as practitioners is certainly working in teams um, to ensure that... Um, we 
provide that optimal care. I know that some people in some organizations don't have that luxury of working in teams, Mm -hmm. but certainly um, we all try to practice at the highest level. So certainly implementing and utilizing all of the technology that is that industry is um, has been receptive and 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 provided us as practitioners can help in that process and and I think there's an opportunity for we as vascular access nurses to educate to educate mm-hmm. the generalist nurse in terms of what to look for, in terms of the the importance of assessment, because oftentimes we are not dealing with these patients and these lines on a day-to-day basis. Uh, we place these lines and we monitor these lines with regularity, but the functionality and, and dealing with and, and giving and infusions really falls to our colleagues at the bedside. Mm-hmm. And so I think that whatever opportunities present themselves for us to educate them will can only benefit the patients all around because it will breed a competency of every person that lays hands on a CVAD. Great. Yep. Absolutely great thoughts, yes. Crystal, thank you so much for being part of our podcast series on Complications Happens. This is our last episode in the series, and I appreciate you so much helping us finalize that. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Take care.